Chapter Nine of the Untamed by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Phantom Rider. In the daytime, the willows along the wide, level river bottom seemed an unnatural growth, for they made a streak of yellow green across the mountain desert when all other verdure withered and died. After nightfall, they became still more dreary. Even when the air was calm, there was apt to be a sound as of wind, for the tenuous trailing branches brushed lightly together, making a guarded whispering like ghosts. In a small clearing among these willows sat Silent and his companions. A fifth member had just arrived at this rendezvous, answered the quiet greeting with a wave of his hand, and was now busy caring for his horse. Bill Kilduff, who had a natural inclination and talent for cookery, raked up the deft dying coals of the fire over which he had cooked the supper, and set about preparing bacon and coffee for the newcomer. The latter came forward and squatted close to the cook, watching the process with a careful eye. He made a sharp contrast with the rest of the group. From one side his profile showed the face of a good-natured boy, but when he turned his head the flicker of the firelight ran down a scar which gleamed in a jagged semicircle from his right eyebrow to the corner of his mouth. This whole side of his countenance was drawn by the cut, the mouth stretching to a perpetual grimace. When he spoke, it was as if he were attempting secrecy. The rest of the men waited in patience until he finished eating. Then Silent asked, "'What news, Jordan?' Jordan kept his regretful eyes a moment longer on his empty coffee cup. "'There ain't a pile to tell,' he answered at last. "'I suppose you heard about what happened to the chap you beat up at Morgan's place the other day?' "'Who knows that I beat him up?' asked Silent sharply. "'Nobody,' said Jordan. "'But when I heard the description of the man that hit Whistlin' Dan with a chair, I knew it was Jim Silent.' "'What about Barry?' asked Haines. But Jordan still kept his eyes upon the chief. They were saying pretty general, he went on, that you needed that chair, Jim. Is that right? The other three glanced covertly to each other. Silent's hand bunched into a great fist. He went loco. I had to slam him. Was he hurt bad? The cut on his head wasn't much, but he was left lying in the saloon that night, and the next morning old Joe Cumberland, not knowing that Whistlin' Dan was in there, come down and touched a match to the old joint. She went up and smoke and took Dan along. No one spoke for a moment. Then Silent cried out. Then, what was that whistling I heard down the road behind us? Bill Kilduff broke into a rolling bass laughter, and Hal Purvis chimed in with a squeaking tenor. We told you all along, Jim, said Purvis, as soon as he could control his voice, that there wasn't any whistling behind us. We know you got powerful good hearing, Jim, but we all figure you've been making something out of nothing. Am I right, boys? You sure are, said Kilduff. I ain't heard a thing. Silent rolled his eyes angrily from face to face. I'm kind of sorry the lad got his in the fire. I was hoping maybe we'd meet again. There's nothing I'd rather do than be alone five minutes with Whistling Dan. His eyes dared anyone to smile. The men merely exchanged glances. When he turned away, they grinned broadly. 
Hal Purvis turned and caught Bill Kilduff by the shoulder. Bill, he said excitedly, if Whistlin' Dan is dead, there ain't any master for that dog. What about him? growled Kilduff. I'd like to try my hand with him, said Purvis, and he moistened his tight lips. Did you see that black devil when he snarled at me in front of Morgan's place? He sure didn't look too pleasant. Right. Maybe if I had him on a chain, I could change his manner some, eh? How? A whip every day, damn him. A whip every time he showed his teeth at me. No eats till he whined and licked my hand. He'd die first. I know that kind of dog. Or a wolf. Maybe he'd die. Anyway, I'd like to try my hand with him, Bill. I'm going to get a hold of him some of these days, if I have to ride a hundred miles and swim a river. Kilduff grunted. Let the damn wolf be. You can have my say. What I'm thinking about is the hoss. Hal, do you remember the way he settled to his stride when he lighted out after Red Pete? Purvis shrugged his shoulders. You're a fool, Bill, which no man but Barry could ever ride that horse. I seen it in his eyes. He'd cash in, Buckin. He'd fight you like a man. Kilduff sighed. A great yearning was in his eyes. Hal, he said softly, there's some man go around for years and hunting for a girl whose picture is in their bean, cashed away somewhere. When they see her, they just naturally go nutty. Hal, I don't give a damn for women folk, but I've traveled around a long time with a picture of a hoss in my brain, and Satan is the hoss. He closed his eyes. I can see him now. I can see them shoulders and that head, and my God, them eyes, them fire-eatin' eyes. Hal, if a man was to win the heart of that hoss, he'd lay down his life for you. He'd run himself plumb to death. I won't never sleep tight till I get the feel of those satin sides of his between my knees. Lee Haines heard them speak, but said nothing. His heart also leaped when he heard of Whistling Dan's death. But he thought neither of the horse nor the dog. He was seeing the yellow hair and blue eyes of Kate Cumberland. He approached Jordan and took a place beside him. "'Tell me some more about it, Terry,' he asked. "'Some more about what?' "'About Whistlin' Dan's death, about the burning of the saloon,' said Haines. "'What the hell, are you still thinking about that?' "'I certainly am.' "'Then I'll trade you news,' said Terry Jordan, lowering his voice so that it would not reach the suspicious ear of Jim Silent. "'I'll tell you about the burning.' if you tell me something about Barry's fight with Silent. It's a trade, answered Haines. All right. Seems old Joe Cumberland had a hunch to clean up the landscape. Old fool. So he just set up in the morning without saying a word to anyone. He downs to the saloon and touches a match to it. When he comes back to his house, he tells his girl Kate what he done. With that, she lets out a holler and drops in a faint. Haines muttered. "'What's the matter?' asked Terry, a little anxiously. "'Nothing,' said Haines. "'She fainted, huh? Well, good.' "'Yep. She fainted, and when she comes to, she told Cumberland that Dan was in the saloon and probably too weak to get out of the fire.' They started for the place on the run. When they got there, all they found was a pile of red-hot coals, so everyone figures that he went up in the flames. That's all I know. Now, what about the fight?' Haines sat with fixed eyes. "'There isn't much to say about the fight,' he said at last. "'The hell there isn't,' scoffed Terry Jordan. 
from what I've heard. This whistling Dan simply cut loose and raised the devil, more general than a dozen mavericks corralled with a bunch of yearlings. Cutting loose is right, said Haines. It wasn't a pleasant thing to watch. One moment he was about as dangerous as an eighteen-year-old girl. The next second he was like a panther that's tasted blood. That's all there was to it, Terry. After that first blow, he was all over the chief. You know silence a bad man with his hands. I guess we all know that, said Jordan, with a significant smile. Well, said Haines, he was like a baby in the hands of Barry. I don't like to talk about it. None of us do. It makes the flesh creep. There was a loud crackling among the underbrush several hundred yards away. It drew closer and louder. "'Start up your works again, will you, Bill?' called Silent. "'Here comes Shorty Reinhardt, and he's overdue.' In a moment, Shorty swung from his horse and joined the group. He gained his nickname from his excessive length, being taller by an inch or two than Jim Silent himself. But what he gained in height he lost in width. Even his face was monstrously long and marked with such sad lines that the favorite name of Shorty was affectionately varied to Sour Face or Calamity. Silent went to him at once. "'You seen Hardy?' he asked. "'Sure did,' said Reinhardt. "'And it's the last time I'll make that trip to him. You can lay to that.' "'Did he give you the dope?' "'Nope.' "'What do you mean?' I just want you to know that this here's my last trip to Elkhead on any business. Why? I passed three marshals on the street, and I knew them all. They was my friends, formerly. One of them was. What did they do? I waved my hand to them, glad and familiar. They just grunted. One of them, he looked up and down the street, and seeing that no one was in sight, he come up to me without shaking hands, he says, I'm some surprised to see you in Elkhart, Shorty. Why, says I, the town's all right, isn't it? It's all right, he says, but you'd find it a pile more healthier out on the range. What in the hell did he mean by that, growled Silent. He simply meant that they're beginning to think a lot more about us than they used to. We've been pulling too many jobs the last six months. You said all that before, Shorty. I'm running this gang. Tell me about Hardy. I'm coming to that. I went into the Wells Fargo office down by the railroad, and the clerk sent me back to find Hardy in the back room, where he generally is. When he seen me, he changed color. I just popped my head through the door and sung out, Hello, Hardy. How's the boy? He jumped up from the desk and sung out so his clerk in the outside room could hear, How are you, lad? And he pulled me quick into the room and locked the door behind me. "'Now, what in the hell have you come to Elkhead for?' says he. "'For a drink,' says I, never batting an eye. "'You've come a damn long way,' said he. "'Sure,' says I. "'That's one reason I'm so dry. "'Will you liquor, pal?' "'He looked like he needed a drink, all right. "'He began loosening his shirt collar. "'Thanks, but I ain't drinking,' says he. "'Look here, Shorty. "'Are you loco to come riding into Elkhead this way?' I'm just beginning to think maybe I am, says I. Shorty, he says in a whisper, they're beginning to get wise to the whole gang, including me. Take a brace, says I. They ain't got a thing on you, Hardy. That don't keep him from thinking a hell of a pile, says he. And I tell you, Shorty, 
I'm just about through with the whole works. It ain't worth it. Not if there was a million in it. Everybody's getting wise to silent, and the rest of you. Pretty soon hell's going to bust loose. You've been saying that for two years, says I. He stopped and looked at me, sort of thoughtful and pitying. Then he steps up close to me and whispers in that voice, Do you know who's on Silent's trail now, eh? No, and I don't give a damn, says I, free and careless. Tex Calder, says he. Silent started violently, and his hand moved instinctively to his six-gun. Did he say Tex Calder? He said no less, answered Shorty Reinhardt, and waited to see his news take effect. Silent stood with head bowed, scowling. Tex Calder's a fool, he said at last. He ought to know better than to take my trail. He's fast with his gun, suggested Shorty. Don't I know that, said Silent. If Alvarez and Brady and Hunter and God knows how many more could come up out of their graves, they'd just tell how quick he is with a six-gun. But I'm the one man on the range that's faster. Shorty was eloquently mute. I ain't asking you to take my word for it, said Jim Silent. Now that he's after me, I'm glad of it. It had to come some day. The mountains ain't big enough for both of us to go ranging forever. We had to lock horns some day, and I say, God help, Tex Calder. He turned abruptly to the rest of the men. Boys, I've got something to tell you that Shorty just heard. Tex Calder is after us. There came a fluent outburst of cursing. Silent went on. I know just how slick Calder is. I'm betting on my draw to be just the necessary half a hair quicker. He may die shooting. I don't lay no bets that I can nail him before he gets his iron out of its leather. But I say, he'll be shooting blind when he dies. Is there anyone taking that bet? His eyes challenged them one after another. Their glances traveled past the silent as if they were telling over and over to themselves the stories of those many men to whom Tex Calder had played the part of fate. The leader turned back to Shorty Reinhardt. Now, tell me, what he had to say about the coin. Hardy says the shipment's delayed. He don't know how long. How'd it come to be delayed? He figures that Wells Fargo got a hunch that Silent was laying for the train that was to carry it. Will he let us know when it does come through? I asked him and he just hedged. He's quitting on us cold. I was a fool to send you, Shorty. I'm going myself. And if Hardy don't come through to me... He broke off and announced to the rest of his gang that he tended to make the journey to Elkhead. He told Haynes, who in such cases usually acted as lieutenant, to take charge of the camp. Then he saddled his roan. In the very act of pulling up the cinch of his saddle, Silent stopped short, turned, and raised a hand for quiet. The rest were instantly still. Hal Purvis leaned his weazened face toward the ground. In this manner it was sometimes possible to detect far-off sounds which to one erect would be inaudible. In a moment, however, he straightened up, shaking his head. "'What is it?' whispered Haines. "'Shut up,' muttered Silent, and the words were formed by the motion of his lips rather than through any sound. That damned whistling again. Every face changed. At the rustling in a nearby willow, Terry Jordan started and then cursed softly to himself. That broke the spell. 
"'It's the whispering of the willows,' said Purvis. "'You lie,' said Silent hoarsely. "'I hear the sound growing closer.' "'Barry is dead,' said Haines. Silent whipped out his revolver and then shoved it back into the holster. "'Stand by me, boys,' he pleaded. "'If his ghost comes to haunt me, you can't hear it because he ain't come for you.' They stared at him with a fascinated horror. "'How do you know it's him?' asked Shorty Reinhardt. There ain't no sound in the whole world like it. It's sort of a cross between the singing of a bird and the wailing of the wind. It's the ghost of Whistling Dan. The tall roan raised his head and whinnied softly. It was an unearthly effect, as if the animal heard the sound which was inaudible to all but his master. It changed Big Jim Silent into a quavering coward. Here were five practiced fighters who feared nothing between heaven and hell, but what could they avail him against a bodiless spirit? The whistling stopped. He breathed again, but only for a moment. It began again, this time much louder and nearer. Surely the others must hear it now, or else it was certainly a ghost. The men sat with dilated eyes for an instant, and then Hal Purvis cried, I heard it, chief. If it's a ghost, it's haunting me, too. Silent cursed loudly in his relief. It ain't a ghost. It's Whistlin' Dan himself. And Terry Jordan's been carrying us lies. What in the hell do you mean by it? I ain't been carrying you lies, said Jordan hotly. I told you what I heard. I didn't never say that there was anyone who seen his dead body. The whistling began to die out. A babble of conjecture and exclamation broke out. But Jim Silent, still sickly white around the mouth, swung up into his saddle. "'That whistling Dan I'm leaving to you, Haines,' he called. "'I've had his blood once, and if I meet him again, there's going to be another notch filed into my shooting iron.'" End of chapter 9